This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. It's Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio. I am grateful and honored to have George Kingman on with me. Hello, George. Good afternoon, Carm. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much. We are Remarkable Results Radio, the premier podcast of the automotive aftermarket in business, personal success, and business acumen. We've been doing this for, my golly, eight years now have the Aftermarket Radio Network. We are rocking and rolling. And George is here from Advanced Shop Leadership. It's a consulting company, coaching company, 20 group. And he also, like that's not enough. He's got five stores, three in Georgia, two in Illinois. And are you home enough? I am not home a whole lot, but I tell you, it works out really well. I'm a happier husband, happier father, because I do what I absolutely love to do. So when I get home, it's all in on the family, right? It's, we have not a whole lot that's pulling me back. It's, we're focused. We're doing family time. Uh, I'm teaching my son to drive. He's 13. He's actually really good with the stick shift. He's taking flying lessons. So I'll take him up and we'll go take some flying lessons. We do whatever we can so that when I get home, I don't have anything to do. And I've got a great staff, Leslie and Richie and Wes, and they help me so that when I'm back, I can stay focused on home. Since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member side has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, benefits, and other information available to help their businesses thrive. If you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal. Not an Napa Auto Care Center? Well, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. We're so happy to have you. We spent a lot of time together, met you at ASTE. When I spent some time with George on the phone trying to capture what it is that we can do that will bring value to the audience and rising all boats, we came up with three episodes and you're going to love what we're going to do. We're going to talk about finding your path to passion, but we're going to do it in three separate episodes over time. And the first one that you're in right now is called safety. Why do we call it that? Well, when you're thinking about passion, so first, let's talk about why passion has to happen, right? It, it doesn't happen by accident. Not everybody is born with it. And even if we are a passionate person at home, do we necessarily translate that at work? We can be very passionate about the things, our hobbies, but not necessarily passionate about what we do. Yeah. So the first piece is safety. We have to feel secure. I tell you, when I was in school, I had times that I was picked on and teased. And when you're picked on and teased, that's not a safe environment. So it doesn't get you to come out of your shell. Instead, it forces you into your turtle shell. So safety isn't just the physical safety, but it's the psychological safety that we have to have at work so that we feel comfortable to show our passion, to be excited. So not only for you, but if you have it and you're secure, you're going to bring it to your people. Exactly. So it's so interesting when you're around somebody passionate. So I think about Chris Cloutier, right? He's on the show a lot. He brings passion. And when he gets out there and he's with you, it just brings more of your passion out. And you watch him with other people and you watch their moods lift. They bring their high-spirited, high energy. 
it's contagious. But also with another contagion is negativity or flat. I would almost rather negativity because at least they have some passion and I can always turn that into positivity. But flat is also difficult as well. You know, I love the word passion. I've always felt that the things that I love to do the most, I am the most passionate about, George. It's like right on. You can always see somebody who loves their job because they bring that level of passion. The love, it's hard to love your job if you're not showing it, if you're not truly passionate about it. I don't care how great the benefits are, how wonderful things are. If there's no energy, if there's passion behind it, when you go home, you're going to be beat up, beat down, and then you bring that lack of passion home with you. So even if you do have hobbies over here on the side that you're ultra passionate about, it's hard to bring that passion to those hobbies if we're so focused on the lack of passion we have at work. Let me talk to you about uh, the fact that I am so passionate as a shop owner and I love to fix cars. Myth where I started, why I started this business, because I thought I could build something really big and great, but I am not a really good CEO. And I go into this, if you will, hamster wheel every day because my passion is to get my hands dirty, work with wrenches, take care of people, fix cars, and my business isn't doing well. I'm having a time hiring people because I can't pay the right wage. I'm not paying all my bills, my utility, my taxes, and all that stuff that, if you will, crumbles in or envelops and tightens around an individual. So if they have passion to fix, you may have to come along as a coach and a trainer in a 20 group, which is what has been so marvelous in our industry. All these great organizations that are helping people discover their CEO-ness. I call it Who, Not How. And it's a great book. It's I've stolen that. It's a great book, Who, Not How. There are lots of things that I am not good at. But within the business, I've got a couple of businesses. Within those businesses, I needed to find who's. So in my Blue Sky Tire and Auto, I've got uh, several amazing people, partners. I've got Tom that runs my operations. He runs the operations for all the stores. And then I have partners in each of the stores. So those are my who's. But also on the advanced shop leadership side, I've got uh, Leslie is my who. She's actually the president of advanced shop leadership. She's telling me what I need to do all of the time, which is exactly what I need her for. It's exactly why I, I grabbed a hold of her. She is doing an amazing job at helping me be a better CEO by handling a lot of the tasks that would generally bring me down. So as we're dealing with the shop and we also have, we've got to look at what can we afford? It's really easy when you're making plenty of money to grab a whole bunch of who's so you don't have to do it so you can focus on the things that you love. But at the same time, we have people in our store who are great at different things, who want to do more, who have the capacity to do more. So a lot of, we go back to culture and passion some of the ways that we can find passion is taking those things that kind of pull us down and drag us down. But by sharing those responsibilities for those people who work with us, work for us, they get excited about it. Now, hey, the boss trusts me to do this special thing, something that he was always doing before. And he trusts me and he wants me. And believe it or not, that trust creates additional psychological safety. 
which is one of those foundations. It comes full circle. Psychological safety. How cool is that? Let me ask you this question. How many clients, friends, people in your network that you know hired a who to help run their business and they stayed in the bays? I can tell you, I know several people who have hired CEOs that are their boss. So they actually answer to their CEOs because they realized that they needed that additional support. I look at Tom. He's my VP of ops, but he's also a partner. And Tom is my who. When it comes to Blue Sky, when it comes to running the day-to-day, making those decisions, he doesn't want me making those decisions. And I want to make sure that I don't step on his toes and he is making those decisions. But believe it or not, I'm sitting here trying to think. I can tell you, one, the Tate boys out in Oklahoma, they have since sold. However, they were the first ones that I really saw that brought in a CEO to help grow their business. It's incredibly impressive. They grew it quite a bit to the point to where they sold and did very well for themselves. But they knew that they had a cap. They had a ceiling. So they brought somebody in to help them. We all have a ceiling, whether we want to admit it or not. I certainly have a ceiling. Everybody I know has a ceiling. And we find those who's to help us elevate that ceiling so that we now can focus on the tasks that we're exceptional at and get that other stuff off our backs. A ceiling of responsibility, a ceiling of tasks, a ceiling of, I'm just not good at doing that. I need someone else. A ceiling of, wait a minute, you can make decisions up to this investment number. Explain to me what your ceiling is. So when I think of ceilings, right, I'm thinking about what our capabilities are as people to drive. So when I think about, Carm, this kind of scares a lot of people. I am okay with people who work for me to make the wrong decision. I almost encourage it because number one, if they're not making mistakes, we don't know what we need to fix, what we need to focus on. The other piece is we've all made mistakes. We all learn from those mistakes and those mistakes are are the best teacher. It's better than reading a book. Don't get me wrong. I read lots of books. It's better than anything we could do because we have a psychological effect from those lessons that we learned, right? If they make a mistake, now I know what their rationale was, what their thinking was. I can begin to ask them. And then it's a great teaching moment. It's a great training moment. So it's okay if they make mistakes. I would rather them make mistakes than keep just do what I say because I don't have enough time or energy to tell them what to do each and every time. Got it. I understand the book you referenced, George, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. I consumed that book and it came to me from a great friend, Barry Barrett. It's up on our books page on the website. You can just see all the books that we talk about. And it was the time that daughter Tracy and I were trying to get together and I knew that I needed a who because we were growing. There was a lot of responsibility. I had a vision as to where we could take the aftermarket radio network. And Barry says, you need a who? And for everything that you just basically said, he said to me, I created the org chart responsibility chart and Tracy became my who and I need to work for her. I think I actually do. I think if you ask her, she may say, I'm not sure, dad, but I get it. I really understand. I'm excited about this path to passion and this security episode, safety episode. I think that's a great start. We're also going to talk about your vulnerability. 
and your purpose down the road, okay? Because I think we all have to have uh, purpose and vulnerability in check. But this seems in this discussion more of a work-life balance thing. So culture, everybody wants to have a positive culture. And I'm in lots of shops and I see it. And I'm also in lots of shops where I don't see it. I tell you, just today, Carm, I was at a shop, Whitley's Automotive. They have a couple of shops in North Carolina in the Charlotte suburbs. And I was with Chad and in his shop, I go to him to get my oil change, right? Because my shops are in Georgia. It's a long drive from Charlotte to Georgia to get your oil change. I bring it to Chad and I go in and I'm excited because, and I've been in both of his stores. I'm excited because the people that are working there like working there, right? So they're excited. They're bringing it in. You can tell that they're happy. They tease each other. They're having a good fun. And when they go home, do you think that positive energy just stops? Of course not. If we can find ways to improve culture, to have an amazing culture in our shop, that's necessary for a proper work-life balance. What happens when we don't have the right culture, we'll never have a good work-life balance. I don't care if they only have to work 10 hours a week. They are still dreading having to go into work for those 10 hours while they're at home. So the balance isn't just having more hours to themselves. A proper balance is keeping them motivated and driven and happy and passionate people. So when they get home, they're excited to see their spouse or excited to see their kids or excited to see the dog. Well, the dog's always excited to see us. So that kind of helps out, right? But when I come home from a trip, don't get me wrong, Carm, I'm exhausted. I, I put everything I can into the 20 group meetings or we're doing a one-on-one. I'm certainly exhausted. And when I see my wife, I can't wait to tell her about all the neat things that we did, that we saw, that we worked on, the people that I met. And she feeds off of that passion, right? Just as she tells me about her great job. And then we feed each other. So if we come home with positive energy and think life hasn't always been super positive for me. I've been through bankruptcies. I've had my challenges in my past lives, in my not past life, but in my past years. I've certainly had challenges before I got to where I am today. But when we don't come home in that positive way, what we're actually doing is we're dragging down our work-life balance. But regardless of your supervisor, of your boss, I don't care what industry you're in, we're in control. We can decide that we're going to be positive or we're going to be negative. If anybody who knows me well knows that whenever they ask how I'm doing, it's always super fantastic. And I stole that from Keith Harrell. And Keith Harrell, amazing individual. He left this earth a little bit too soon because I still had a lot to learn from him. But Keith really laid it out for me and he really set my life on a new course. Keith said, when he wakes up every morning, do you think he's super fantastic? And the answer is no. I'm tired. When I get out of bed, I'm I would love to hit the snooze button about three or four more times, right? Sometimes I have to drink a five-hour energy just to get out of bed. I literally keep them on my nightstand for those when I'm in different time zones and I need that extra punch. So I'm not super fantastic. But then when I start talking to people, I fake it. They know I have to be super fantastic. So as soon as I say it, if it's somebody I know, they laugh and they say, I knew you were going to say that. And so immediately I put a smile on their face. 
But let's say I'm going somewhere else and I'm seeing a stranger. Maybe it's at Dunkin' Donuts. Maybe it's at the bank, whoever it is. And they ask how I'm doing, not because they want to, but because they're forced to. Their boss says, you got to act nice to the customers. And they say it, and I come back with super fantastic. They smile. They're caught off guard. So what I did is I made them smile so that now their interaction with me is going to be more positive. So their positivity reflects back. I got to give it to get it. And that's the way positivity works. The more you give, the more you get in return. Nap is proud to have America's largest network of parts and care with nearly 6,000 auto parts stores and over 18,000 auto care centers. In that spirit, the Nap Auto Parts and Auto Care logos have a new look, carefully designed to be visually alike. This will further cement Napa as the place to go for consumers when in need of vehicle maintenance. Now, did you know Napa Auto Care was top rated in a national survey by consumers of car repair in the chains and independent repair shops category? These ratings were based on courtesy, timeliness, quality, price of repair, and percent of times the problem was fixed on the first visit to the repair facility. Napa Auto Care is the only banner program to make these ratings. Consumers are familiar with the Napa Auto Care brand, and you can benefit from their continued success. Your independent repair facility can join this network and be supported through Napa's national marketing by... Promoting your local repair facility with targeted media in local markets and in proven channels, allowing you to compete with a national presence by co-branding your locally known brand with the nationally recognized Napa brand using the Pro Image Auto Care program. Also, partnering with Napa Smart Sign. Now, it educates your clients with engaging videos that tell the why behind a needed repair or service. You also get access to editable digital menu boards, template builder tools, social media feeds, and integrations with other auto care program elements. Napa also offers a credit solution to customers with Napa Easy Pay consumer financing with your business name embossed on the credit card. Napa also gives you an online presence when the consumers search for a local repair facility on Napa Online using the Auto Care Locator tool, which generates millions of views per month at no additional cost. From parts to care, from coast to coast, we are one Napa. Now, if you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on the latest national marketing campaign, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store or sales rep. Put your immersion hat on and hear what George just said. I'm super fantastic. And I'm trying to think about every time someone asks me, hey, how you doing? And I always say, probably 95% of the time, I'm great. And what do you think the reply is? Great. Because people come back and say, well, they're happy for me by saying great. And no matter sometimes how bad the days are, no matter how many things stack up, we all know the drill, right? I didn't get to it. This thing got canceled. I had to reschedule this. And oh, the the stove broke in the refrigerator. We've had an appliance nightmare in our household this year. And it seems like every around every turn, we have been challenged by how do you fix this? And you have to go out and buy something. But you know what? That's life, George, to your point. And why should we be woe is me, depressed, and have such an attitude that the people that are relying on you as their leader, as the spouse, as the dad, are always saying, every time I ask, he's always shittering, you know, it's terrible, this is crappy world, this terrible life, and I'm great. Really? Well, the stove broke, but I'm great. When you're around those negative people, it saps the energy. 
And it only takes one, right? It, it only takes one in a shop. And however, if you can go in with that super fantastic attitude, with that decision that I'm going to be something different. And when you do that, you are bringing psychological safety. So you don't have to have the super fantastic piece to bring psychological safety. But if you can bring that positive energy, you are automatically creating safety around the people that you're in. And you now, even though you might have that negative person in your shop, you're now creating positive energy of the other people around you, the other people in the shop, your customers, and they, it will reflect back. And eventually the guy over here who's complaining all the time, he or she, they don't want to be complainers. They don't want to be complainers when everybody else is having fun. One of two things are going to happen. They're either going to jump on board and start to bring some positivity or this is perfectly okay. They'll find their house. Yeah. And it's just not your house. It's okay to lose no matter how great of a technician, how great of a mechanic, how great of a salesperson. When they bring negativity, the damage they do to the people around them is immeasurable. Very profound thought. Let me go back probably about six minutes when you were talking about work-life balance and our responsibility. And, and say I'm talking to the owner of the shop, the CEO, the leader, and we preach you come to work for our place or all of our team, we believe in work-life balance and you don't create the kind of purpose and values and mission inside the business. The work-life balance you expect them to go home to, or you're going to carry that baggage home. I love that point. And I think we need to let that sink in. If you want your people to have work-life balance, if you want it yourself, you have to have the energy, the positive energy that goes forward wherever this individual who you work with goes. And that's huge. I think it's one of the biggest takeaways in our work-life balance dialogue that we've done on the show in the last couple of years. You have to create it, maintain it, and make it happen. That's it. Regardless of your career, regardless of your industry, it's so funny. I, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles. It's almost an addiction. Of course, Google is always listening to me, so it sends me the articles that it knows I'm interested in. And so I get a lot of psychology articles. I, I think Google thinks I'm a psychologist. So I get all these psychology articles and I get a lot of corporate articles and, you know, businesses trying to create better work-life balance and this generation versus that generation and all of the strife that they're writing about. But it's almost like they're missing the key point that it's not more time. It's not giving them more time off. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody loves more time off. It's decreasing stress. It's increasing happiness. That's how you create work-life balance so that when you go home, you aren't so beat up, so dragged down that you then need to take it out on your wife or you need to have a beer or 12. It's okay to have one or two, right? It's not okay to have 12 or 18 at a night to get your work-life balance in check. So if we can find a way to create happiness in our teammates through psychological safety, making sure that they're happy at work, not just at home, so that when they go home, that's the win. That's the rub that these companies are missing. It's not how much time off you give them. It's not even how much money you give them. How many times, I'm sure you've heard a thousand times, people quit their boss, not the company, right? Yep, yep. And it's not the money. 
It's how we make them feel. And when we're beating them up, tell you, Carm, this is so important to me. We hire a new GS, new teammate, new tire tech, whatever. They come into our shop. We've got the lead tech who's been doing this for 30 years, knows everything. And let's say they don't treat them super fantastically, right? Well, that tire tech, that labor, that general service tech, they aren't going to stick around because you may not be beating them up, but they're getting beat up psychologically from the other people in the shop. When all they have to do is push the broom and everybody's teasing them, giving them a hard time, giving them extra work because, hey, they had to go through it and they survived. Well, that's not a fun place to work. And then we wonder why these kids only make it a couple of months and then just don't show up or they work two days and don't come back to work. Well, it's because we didn't deliver that psychological safety. You've just landed on a great spot where the new GS comes in and you've got a place with poor culture, bad attitudes and say, oh, there's the new kid. He thinks he wants to learn. Why did you join the industry? This is a terrible company to work for. Shall I go on with all the BS type of things that can happen that will totally ruin the excitement of having a new job, starting a new job, all right? Even maybe potentially looking at this as a very fruitful career. And you know what? We have great opportunities and great careers and great pay in our industry. And there are people out there crushing it and ruining it for the unprofessionalism of our industry. It all has to do with the culture that you build and the purpose that you give to your people. And if they're not demonstrating it and you're not seeing it, hearing it, and you're, you don't have a pulse on it, then the leader's the problem. That's it. So as a leader, it's our job to go out to that head mechanic out in the back and share with him what damage he's doing and to help him or her realize what it was like when they were younger. And not everybody is like everybody else. Not everybody has the same experiences. Do you want to mentor somebody or do you want to run somebody off? Do you want to improve the people around you or do you just want to spread your negativity around everybody else? And that's a tough conversation. A lot of my clients ask, how do you have that conversation with somebody about negative attitude? It's hard for them to really put their hands to wrap their hands around it. And I got to tell you, Karma, I don't think there were, you have to do anything other than just call out exactly what it is. It doesn't have to be something that you have to put a ton of thought in. John, I need to talk to you about the way you treated Josh before he quit. How do you feel? Do you feel as though you had any part of him wanting to leave? And then you just shut up, let them talk, open it up, an open-ended question and hear what they have to say. That's the way the conversation needs to start. You don't need to dance around it and say, hey, you're a great technician, but I want to talk to you about this. You don't need to do the but. You could just be straight up. I have this crazy thought, and tell me I'm off the wall or not. I have a brand new individual who comes in the shop. And part of our company, in our policy manual, is what's called the orientation of the new person. And everyone has a role in it. Not to destroy, but to lift and to teach and to bring our culture, our values, our purpose. Number one is the orientation of the new individual. You can see on the list what they're going to learn, who they're going to work with, including each and every one of our people. And you have a role, technician A, technician B, you have a role. 
something you're going to teach this individual. You're going to be the orientation teacher, be it the tools that we have and how the computers work and lift safety and all that neat stuff that works together. And then we're all in charge with integrating this person into our great culture, into our team. Integration would be next. And then who would love to mentor? Now, everyone's cut out. You know that drill about being a mentor. And then there's other things to consider and worry about. And then we want to improve this person and involve them in the company. And if all of those were steps, then I would assume in the really good positive culture, the what the hell are you doing here? Why did you join this industry goes away. It sure would, wouldn't it? It's we're speaking the same language. I wish it was that easy. So here's what we did for our listener. We just gave them and please go to the show notes because I'm sure these talking points are going to be there and look at that and ask yourself, what are we going to do to ensure the investment we made? And sometimes it's substantial in placing ads and the time we spend to hire people. Hiring is costly today. And it's the skip of the production that you have when you're down someone. Wouldn't the goal of doing all this is to never be down someone and always be adding? It is. Everybody feels as though we've got this technician tree that we just plop them off as soon as we're ready. Oh, this fruit's no good. Let's just go grab another one. Unfortunately, I haven't found the technician tree, but I do believe you can grow them from seeds. And if you can just, when they start, if we can just culture, cultivate them, mentor them, help them to see the positivity. And it takes, you've got to have great soil, right? You've got to have a great business, great people out there. You've got to water that seed. And if you have all of the right pieces, you can have a huge, great blockbuster crop, right? But we don't do that. We may buy the seeds. Oh, that one didn't turn into anything. That one didn't turn into anything. And then if they get a little bit of water and a little bit of dirt, you get some crooked weed-looking plant, weed-looking vegetable. You get no plant, you get no fruit, no vegetables from it. It just doesn't produce a whole lot. But if we can cultivate it, make sure that the ground is right, do exactly what you said, and make sure that everybody's involved with integrating this individual. It's all psychological safety, guys. If we did that, we would have all the fruit that we could ever dream of having. I love your expertise, and it feels, since this is the first time I've had you on the show, and I'm still learning an awful lot about you, George, that you've been around the horn. And of course, I know the fact that you've been a paramedic you owned a mortgage company. You applied Lean lean and Six Sigma, which we've done shows on, which we should have more shows on. Please come back and help us do that. Started a construction company and then big crunch happens and, and you lost everything. So that's, wow, that really toughens up the bones. And then you ran stores for Bridgestone. I did. And then you worked with my friend Dennis McCurran and DSP with 20 groups. I mean, and you did all that in what, in 10 years? Not quite. So, Carm, I am so blessed and I never would have dreamed my life could have turned out so great. Amazing family. But if if you only knew, I mean, I'll share some vulnerabilities here. I'm a high school dropout. I went to work uh, at a Firestone store when I was about 16 or 17 years old. I don't even think I was supposed to be working there when I actually started working there. And I started going to taking some college classes when my friends started the 11th grade. 
I'm working at a uh, tire store. I've had an oil out. I remember Carm. I'm with the company two weeks. And before I went to work for them, I didn't know how to change oil. I didn't know how to do any of those things. And all of a sudden they decided, okay, we're going to open up Sundays. Well, no, who wants to work Sundays, right? So the new kid who's been literally working on cars, changing oil for two weeks, they have me come in. You got to understand before this job, I didn't even know how to drive a stick shift. Thank God that the parts truck was a stick shift. And my first day they sent me out to get parts and I had to figure it out on my own because I didn't want to get beat up by the technicians by letting them know I didn't know how to do it. Not that they didn't figure it out when they saw me try to pull out of the parking lot and replace the clutch about three weeks later. But two weeks in, this little Honda CRV, I will never forget it. This little Honda CRV comes in and it's a stick shift too. And I get it into the shop and I wouldn't even know how to lift the car. And I put the lift underneath the floorboard. They had the rails that go underneath the oh, floorboard. It's no. not meant to support. And I lift the car up, change the oil, rotate the tires. I lower it down and I get in the car and my feet don't fit. So I, my feet don't fit to reach the pedals, right? So I, I can't even get the pedals to back the car out. I go digging around the shop, find a sledgehammer. I beat the <laughs> heck out of that floorboard. So I've been around, I've had my mistakes, I've started at the bottom. But three years later, I now have graduated with my paramedic, or I'm actually getting ready to graduate with my paramedic, and I leave the industry for 17 years. So in that three years, I had done, you obviously worked on cars, moved up, I was doing some different things on the counter. They knew I wasn't smart enough to be a great technician, so they moved me to the counter. And I did that, and I was successful at it. But when I left, 17 years, I was out of the industry between the paramedic, the mortgage company, the Bank of America, where I did the Six Sigma and the Lean stuff, and then construction company, and then I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing. We've lost our house because I used it to get a loan on the dump truck. It's We lost everything. So you went back to your roots. The same guy who I worked for 17 years earlier told me to come back. And I took the same job I had as a salesperson 17 years later. It was a very humbling experience. And in the manager, he's still a mentor today. I still talk to him regularly. He's an amazing individual, but it was incredibly humbling. So, but I never lost my wanting to be a positive person. I never stopped trying, but to have to start over 17 years later with you know, with the family, it was humbling, but you shouldn't, it's still your responsibility to bring that positivity, to bring that drive, to bring that passion. Because if you don't, so here's something, Carm, if you have any listeners out there in the audience that say, you know what, I want to own my own shops or I want to do this. That doesn't happen by accident. It happens by putting yourself in a position that people recognize you as a leader, regardless of position. They see you as a leader. And I have so many clients that wish they had succession plans. They wish they had the employee that they could self-finance the business to that could take over the company from them so that they could retire, get a good amount and help the next generation come up. But so many of them say, I don't have that employee. Well, they don't have that employee because the employees feel like they're only paid to do whatever they're being paid for. And they don't bring that something extra with them. 
if you want something extra in life, you need to bring something extra every single day. And if you bring it, you will get it. But isn't my job of CEO is to help them get it, help them bring it? 100%. Yeah. And to create the right environment, the right culture with the right passion. And you were telling me a great story. And, and I want to kind of end with the story about George Washington. And he was really famous for propping up his troops. He was. So I'm a history buff. And I got to tell you, I love what George Washington did for this country. I also love what John Adams did for this country. But they couldn't have been two more different people. And John Adams didn't have the ability to lift people up. It wasn't in his nature to lift. But George Washington was amazing at it. And the way that he did it at the right time, he always brought purpose and safety to his troops. Obviously, we're shooting muskets, right? It's, it's not exactly a safe job. You're marching without shoes in December 25th to attack across the Delaware River, right? And we're marching miles without shoes. We don't actually show up, even though we want, we expected that this would be in and out and that this would be over within a matter of hours. We don't actually get to the camp until five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, the next morning. So we're way behind schedule. So it's not like it was easy. But what George Washington was really good at is he recognized when his troops were getting negative. And as soon as he felt it, he would redefine the purpose of why we're doing this. And he would read papers like he would read excerpts from Thomas Paine's Common Sense. He would read and tell them stories, read newspaper articles, talking about families, about what other families are going through because of what the British were doing. And he would constantly use that purpose to get the troops engaged. What made him an amazing leader is he understood culture. And even though the everything was as miserable as it could be, people were dying without even, you know, just from smallpox. But he kept them focused on purpose. And by doing that, he was lifting them up which created safety, the psychological safety. And that's what made him an amazing leader of, you know, it's, we wouldn't be here without him. It really tugs at my heart. And I can only think of how I could take George Washington's ways in motivating his troops into something very interesting in our own companies, in our own shops. And as we work hard to continue our mission, vision, values, our purpose, when we have our meetings, why can't we go around the room and say, hey, next week, Charlie, you're going to be the person. We would love you to tell a story, pick a category. It could be on a success category, someone you know, something you did, a caring story, a giving story, and it'll help build that positivity and talk wow, Charlie, I didn't know that ever happened to you or that you went out and volunteered for that. And it doesn't always have to be about work. That's right. When they go home, it's not about work, but the energy that they bring from work, because it was a great day, got a lot of stuff done, my productivity, my goals were great. You know, we had a little party, we had some subs and we took care of Mrs. Smith and she was so happy. And, we, and if you can get that culture stirring on a weekly basis with some kind of, Success, caring, giving, 
And there's 10 more things I could think of if I had a moment. I think those are great ways. You don't have to be the storyteller as the leader of your business. Your people have to be. Agree. Karm, people should take that advice. I'm going to steal some of it. When I get back, I'm, I can tell you I'm going to call Tom. I like that. At our next team meeting, let's get them to bring us a story. Let's talk about how we had a positive impact on a customer. Like for everybody to bring one story to the next team meeting about how they had a positive impact on a customer. And you start sharing those stories and it just starts spreading. I love yeah. the idea. I'm going to steal it from you. I hope you don't mind. You absolutely have it. And every once in a while, I have a, you know, a great little brain dump because it's people like you, George, and the fan base of this podcast that inspire me to help them think, break the box, think outside the box. And every time a technician will tell you, I didn't have anything to do with making Mrs. Smith happy. Yeah, you did. And maybe we're not telling you enough how you met a timeline. You went above and beyond. You changed that bulb and they were happy about that. I mean, there's so many little tiny details, little tiny things to us make people's really big days. So, Parm, in our industry, the customer-facing teammates, and I believe all teammates are customer-facing, but historically, everybody knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the salespeople. They get to see the customers. They get to see the smiles when everything went well. But the technicians don't get to see it. We don't do a good enough job in our industry to help our technicians see our purpose, that we're there to make their lives better. In, In our Blue Sky stores, we have a couple of the way we look at our purpose. The first thing that we do, the number one job to work for Blue Sky is to help each other, to help the teammates, not to sell more stuff, not to take care of the customer. The number one job to work at Blue Sky is to take care of each other, to take care of the teammates. Then our number two job is to spread joy. And it doesn't matter if we're spreading it to the advance or O'Reilly's or Napa rep that's coming into the building, dropping off parts. It doesn't matter if we're talking to our technicians, our customers. We're, our job is to spread joy. Our number three job is to fix cars. That's the third thing that we do. And then if we do those three things right, our fourth purpose is to grow the business. But we don't even have to work at that. As long as we're doing the first three jobs right, And heck, we could even screw up the third job. But as long as we're taking care of each other and spreading joy, that customer will forgive us. They'll give us another opportunity to make it right. And we'll still be successful. I love your number three or number two, spread joy. And you mentioned your suppliers. Too often in our industry, we love beating up on our suppliers. You know, everybody knows my legacy background. I've never known a supplier not to work so hard for the service professional and then to get beaten up on a myriad of things because it may inflate someone's ego and because their world's not good this day, I want to spread my badness around. So let's, oh, let me see if 10 times a day a supplier comes here. That's 10 shots that I have. Anyway, I will not get up on my soapbox about that, but thank you for bringing me up. You wonder why there are no drivers in the industry, oh. why you can't get parts. Because we treat them so poorly. Yeah, I'm working on having some suppliers coming on and talking about their side of the business. We haven't done that in a while. This was great. This was first episode in this series of Find Your Path to Passion. We're talking safety, security that you build in your company with and for your people. George Kingman, 
from Advanced Shop Leadership, ASL, coach, consultant, five shop owner, Blue Sky Tire, and three in Georgia, two in Illinois. Wow. So you're a busy guy. Uh, you're a smart guy. We didn't even get into the point where when you go and do one-on-ones in shops, I want to try to cover that next time. I think that may be covered well in the episode we're going to call Vulnerability. The third one we're going to do is called Find Your Path to Passion with Purpose. So this was great. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Can't wait to have you back. It's just a pleasure to have you, George. Thank you so much, Carm. I can't tell you how much it means to spend a couple hours with you. This has been super fantastic. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. Bye.